You guys can go ahead and be seated. In 1932-1933, it was considered largely the height of the Great Depression in the United States. Uh, the stock market had exploded over previous years, and people had borrowed money to buy stocks because they thought the investments would go up and it would be worth it, and they realized the stocks were so overpriced, it just the Wall Street started a crash that, that created significant impact across the world. And as poverty increased in the United States, crime increased in the United States. People couldn't find jobs and they were going to really dire ends to make ends meet and to provide for themselves and for their families. Bankers uh, had very difficult times finding employment at the time. And one banker, you know, stories kind of told that he was so desperate for work that he went to a circus that was in town and was like, I will do anything if you will just hire me for a few days. And before he could even finish the sentence, the, the, the person said, yes, I have a job for you. And, and it's of dire need right now. And he's like, I know this is crazy, but our gorilla died yesterday and we can't afford to buy a new gorilla, but we do have a gorilla suit. So I just need you to get out there and just act like a gorilla. And he was like, this could not be any lower. Like I was an established businessman like I had a desk with my name on it and now I'm putting on a gorilla suit. But he found that he actually enjoyed the job. Like monkey business was his business now and he was all about it. And he found ways to entertain the, the, the crowd, uh, doing tricks, messing with children and adults and the crowd loved it. And the crowd really responded when he started messing with a lion. And he'd reach in the lion cage and pull the lion's tail. He started swinging on a rope over the lion and the crowd would just go crazy of the things that this gorilla was doing. And then he determined he was gonna take this, this little bat that he had and he was gonna swat at the lion and just t hit it in the butt as he swung by on the rope. But he didn't quite have the gorilla strength even though he had the gorilla look. And when he took one hand off to do this, he fell into the lion's cage. The lion roared at him. And though he had been very successful at acting like a gorilla up till now, like the show was over. As the lion pounced on him, he's screaming, help, help. And as the lion's mouth gets close to him, the lion goes, shut up, you idiot. You're going to get us both fired. <laughs> you can look the part, you can act the part, but usually stress will bring out who you really are. Moments of conflict where something didn't go as planned. It's like you can, you can look like all of that, but tension will, will kind of show who you are. And we all dislike the taste of someone who says one thing, but is something else. And in the church, there's, there's this high pressure to appear to just be perfect all the time. And today, I'm going to press on you guys a little bit. And I recognize that and understand that it's, it's not out of anger, but it's about like, I, I want to see us be what God has called us to be. And I also hopefully want to remove a burden from you of feeling like I need to make everything happen because there's a supernatural element to what the church is supposed to be that you cannot control. Like you cannot determine and tell God what he is or, going, or is not going to do. Like there's an element to what the church is supposed to be that depends 100% on God showing up and doing what he has said. 
And I feel like there's some things in the church, maybe some past experiences where God didn't answer prayers, where the church has tried to just like hide away and move the supernatural out so that we can keep things controlled and how we want it to be. We're in a series called The Story, and we have been studying all the way at the very beginning in creation, and we've been studying the full story of what God has done through generations. And you can really divide the Bible into five major sections. One is creation, what God did in creating and establishing the world. Number two, Israel, God creating this nation that he was speaking to the world through. Jesus is at the center, everything pointed to him. And the next section is Jesus, which we just wrapped up that section. And now we're into the section that's about the church and the establishment of the early church. And that's where we are today. And then it will all end at the end of time and and return to paradise. We're we're studying the church today. If you have your Bible, you can open to Acts chapter three, verses one through six. And we'll, of course, put this up on the screen as I read it. And Peter and John were leaders in the church. They were disciples, followers of Jesus. They they saw him perform miracles. They, They listened to him teach. They asked him questions. They did their life with him. And now that Jesus has died on the cross and is resurrected, they are, they've become leaders within the church. And this is one of the instances of something that happened with them. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Now, Peter often danced with a line between bold and stupid. Some of you can relate to Peter. Peter would do things where he saw Jesus walking on the water and he'd be on a boat and be like, Jesus, call to me and I'll come out to you on the water. And he would walk on water until he took his eyes off Jesus, looked at the waves and began to sink. Peter was the one that when Jesus said that he was going to be crucified and put to, put to death, Jesus, Peter was the one who grabbed Jesus by the arm and it was like rebuking, correcting Jesus. Like that's never a good plan. Peter was bold and sometimes stupid. And so when you see this interaction, you're like, okay, which side of the line is Peter falling on on here? Is he correctly bold or is he just outright stupid that someone who was 40 years old, over 40 years old, have been brought to this gate to beg every single day and you're gonna walk up to him and just say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Like what would create the notion in Peter's brain that he out of all people would be able to pray that way and expect God to answer. There's a couple things that, there's three things that I want to have, have us consider today. Number one <clears throat> is that the, the church had supernatural expectations. As the church was first established, they absolutely had supernatural expectations that God was going to do things that they could never do, that he was going to open doors that no man could shut, that he would answer prayers that were absurd and could only happen by the power of God. That was their expectation. Why would they have that idea in their head? 
Well, because they had watched the ministry of Jesus. They had listened to the teachings of Jesus. I want you to hear what Jesus had to say in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. We'll put this up on the screen. This is Jesus speaking, and he said, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. I want to pause there for just a minute and make sure that aspect of what Jesus had to say sinks in. Jesus, who took a few loaves of bread and a few fish and fed thousands, said, my followers are going to do even greater things than that. Jesus, who restored sight to the blind, said, my followers are going to do even greater things than that. Jesus, who called Lazarus out of the grave, said, my followers are going to do even greater things. So Peter's expectation that God was going to act in this way was built upon what Jesus had taught and what he had seen. The, pa- the passage in the Gospel of John, as it continues on, says, so they'll do even greater things than, than these. And here's some of the reasoning why. Because I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. I want to unpack that for a minute, because I think one of the reasons why we've stopped asking God for big things is because we've prayed for some things, and the answer did not come the way that we wanted it to come, and so we just stopped praying. And there's a couple of different categories that I would put some of these unanswered prayers in. One of them is we misunderstand what it is to ask something in the name of Jesus Christ. Asking in the name of Jesus is not an incantation that you can use to summon resources that you want for your own comfort or selfish purposes. Asking in the name of Jesus is not just a spell that you cast. It is not some incantation. When you're asking something in the name of Jesus, it's not just the use of his name, but it is the whole purpose of why you are asking and what will come from this prayer being answered. There is a sense in the hearts of some people that if we ask sincerely and believe sincerely in Jesus' name, that a Lamborghini will manifest itself in our driveway. And if we just believe hard enough that God wants to bless us in that way, this is the cold, hard biblical truth. And maybe I'm saying this in too harsh of a way, but I'll defend it. God does not care for your comfort. He cares for you. God does not care for your wealth. He cares for you. God does not care for your ego. He cares for you. And our prayers will often degrade into a list of things that will build our wealth, that will build our ego, that are not good for our soul. Wealth is rightfully described as a magnifier of what you already are. If you don't handle your family relationships well right now, when you add a mass amount of wealth to your life, you won't know how to handle the requests and the begging and the pleading that comes with that now that they, you have a resource that they want. 
If you're not generous now, you're not gonna be generous then. Finances will only magnify who you currently are. If you have an unhealthy desire to be, to be looked, upon, looked upon highly in the eyes of other people, if you worry about your status before men more than you worry about your status before God, you are not in a position to be elevated into power. Throughout history, there has been lots of people and lots of governments that have committed atrocities and even genocide, quote, in the name of Christ. To do something in his name, it has to be done in his ways. It has to follow his teachings. It has to be within the confines of his commands. Otherwise, you're not doing it in his name. If you're asking for things selfishly, you cannot say that you're doing that in the name of Christ. You're doing it in the name of your own ego. And there are so many things that we've prayed for, so many jobs that we've prayed for, so many relationships that we've prayed that the person would just fall for us. And it's not done in the name of Christ. It's done in the name of your own glory. And God has said, no child, no child, no child. And since we haven't got what we want, we've just come to the conclusion that God just doesn't answer prayers. It's one of the ways, one of the reasons why Jesus, when he was teaching us to pray and we were given examples of him praying in scripture, he would pray things like, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Church, this is where your prayers, this, not just your prayer, but this is where your heart and your mind needs to be. The ways of God above the ways of the world. The wisdom of God above the wisdom of the world. And if that means that following God leads me into a valley, being in the valley with my heavenly father is better than being on the mountaintop with the world because I know that that won't last. I know that that is temporal. I know that will lead to destruction. But if God leads me through a valley, he is leading me to a greater place. And because I can trust him, I can walk that path. Not my will, but yours be done, God. So the type of prayers that God answers with a yes are the things that are really done in his name. They are motivated by his name. They're driven by his name. They're driven for his glory. I mean, that's where the passage goes to in the gospel of John. It says in verse 13, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that, so that the father may be glorified in the son. That is the purpose of the answered prayer. And there is a deception that many Christians have fallen into that said, all that God wants for us on earth is blessing and favor. And I do believe that God wants to bless his children. And I do believe that he shows favor to his children. But some blessings feel like burdens for a while. And having a father who favors you and loves you means that you have a father that disciplines you and corrects you as well. And so God will not allow you to circumvent difficulties in your life. In fact, if you're following direction, he is probably going to guide you straight into the storm at times. And our prayers, 
I believe that it is healthy to pour your heart out. God, I don't want to go through this. God, if there's any other way, but God, I trust you. You want to see some of the prayers that God answers? Get your motivation and your heart and your mind working in this direction and try something like this. You know, rather than God elevate me to the position of CEO so I can have the parking space and the salary and the car and the respect of the people. No, try something like this. God, there's a need in my community. There are children who are going hungry at night. I will knock on the doors. I will do the work. I will raise the funds if you will move on the hearts of the people to give and these children will be fed. And see if God doesn't do supernatural things in making that work. Commit yourself to service, to generosity, to love in the season you currently are in, not promising things later, but do it now and see what doors God supernaturally opens for those things to increase. See how God works supernaturally in your life for you to serve other people. But when our prayers are only self-serving, it's when the church gets quieter and quieter about supernatural things. Because God's God's just not gonna answer that. That's not his will, that's not his motivation, it's not being done in his name. And, And I mean, our prayers, like you should understand that your prayers that when they're pushing towards the will of God. Like it is an amazing picture to me that Jesus says, as you pray, I am gonna be at the right hand of the Father. And if you can begin to try to imagine the love that the Father has for Jesus Christ, the the, the love that the Father has for the pure and holy Son who never once sinned. If you can just think about the way that God the Father answered the prayers of Jesus the Son. Now Jesus the Son is there at the right hand of the Father and it it somehow draws this dynamic that he is carrying our requests to God as well. But even beyond that, for you to understand that if you've made a decision to follow Christ, you put Christ as the Lord of your life. He has authority. You're following his ways. Scripture says that he has paid for our sin and what we have received as a benefit is that the holiness of Christ falls on us, that it covers us, that when God hears you speak to him, he sees you with the holiness that Christ earned. That's what it means that Christ has made you holy, that God sees you with the righteousness that he earned. And so when we pray, God hears, have confidence that he hears, but have the comprehension that he's listening for the things that are done in his name for his glory. Oh man, I hope it's good news to you. This might deflate somebody's air in in them right now, but it's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about my name. It's not about your name. It's not about your prestige. That's not what our life is about, but it's glorifying our heavenly father and the prayers that we pray and the things that we want should be reflective of that. And that's when we get to see supernatural things happen. That's when when it it becomes an expectation that God is gonna do things in and through the church that we could have never imagined. And so Peter, how did you get to this point where when you see someone asking for a couple bucks, you're like, you're just gonna walk. Well, 
this is how I see it. And I, I love this illustration because it was super helpful to me when I first heard it. Um, and this is true in spiritual matters and also a lot of your psychology and, and how you interact with people. But one of my college professors told me, told our class, he's like, you guys are like a toolbox. You come into my class and the only thing that you have is what someone else has put in you so far. And especially at the age of college, it's like you're too dumb to put anything in yourself. And so it's just literally what other people have given you. Some of you guys are still at college level. Um, some of you guys, what you have inside is just a measuring tape. So you can, and you just always know, like you don't measure up. And all your interactions are scarred by the fact that you enter into them with a feeling of insecurity that you don't know enough, that you don't look the right way, that you don't have the right experience, that you are not valuable. And that's what you enter situations with. Peter, when he walked upon this man who was asking for gold or silver, he could have been like, I'm just a fisherman. I don't have money. I don't have anything to offer you. I'm not, I wasn't educated in the temple. He could have just had insecurity in him. Some people just have scissors ready to cut ties as soon as anything gets difficult because they know everyone's going to leave eventually. And so someone starts to act like maybe they might leave. They just go ahead and snap them loose and break ties and go off on their own because they're so afraid of getting left that they just leave, 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 leave. Peter could have just ignored the guy's request and cut ties. But Peter had a light that was put inside of him. And so Peter, in this interaction, he reached into his toolbox and Peter had insecurities and he made mistakes and they're actually recorded in scripture, which I love because he was not a perfect leader. You're not a perfect person. I'm not a perfect person either. There's times where you will be in a situation and you'll reach into your toolbox of your life and you will use things that came from your, your family of origin and your experience growing up. And you're like, that was the wrong tool for the job. I'm trying to put something back together, but I swung the hammer. I'm trying to glue something together and I grabbed the saw and it's not helpful. You need to allow yourself to put new things into the toolbox that you use and prayer might be one of them. Maybe you haven't yet experienced the times where God answers prayers in huge ways. You're never going to become a praying person if you don't just start. If you don't add resources to your life, you live in like the most resource rich period of history. And I love this. Like, it's so funny because you'll talk to average Joe Trucker, a guy who works in landscaping. And there's, you know, certain things that you think about education level, but these guys drive all day. And we live in a time in history where they start listening to podcasts. And they're like, yeah, I've been listening to the Harvard series on the economics in China and the way that the former, you know, conquering dynasties influenced their stock markets. And they're like, you're a landscaper. Like, where did you get? They're like, well, I just listen to this stuff and I'm learning. You can learn all about prayer. You, at your fingertips, every single day, you have the opportunity to grab more tools about how to navigate your life, your spiritual life and your relationships and add them to your toolbox so that when you encounter a situation, you have something to give to the person in need. And it's probably not what they're asking for because that beggar, he really didn't need silver. He needed healing. And Peter had something in his toolbox because he had spent time learning from Jesus. And so he had a supernatural expectation in his mind that God can work in this way. 
Some of you guys are like, I can't figure out why my relationships keep going wrong. Lovingly, here's a hint. If all of your relationships keep going wrong, if all of the people in the office can't tolerate you, if all of your family members don't like you, if all of your friends are ignoring the messages that you send them, there might be some self-work that needs to go on. And if you keep experiencing pain in one element of your life, pain is an indicator where something is wrong and it needs to be fixed. And you can, listen to me, some of you don't believe this, you need to believe this, you can add new things to the toolbox. You can learn to forgive. You can learn to be patient. You can learn to bite your tongue and be silent when you need to. You can grow and change. God works supernaturally in and through his people. And if you come to your heavenly father and say, I need to allow the fruits of the spirit to be working through me in my life. He's gonna work in that way. And so Peter, he, he had it in the toolbox. He, he had learned it from Jesus. He didn't naturally have it. He was a fisherman. He was a simple person, but he had learned and he prayed and he was expectant. And so the church, they had supernatural expectations. Number two, the church also had a supernatural origin. And it's really, it's interesting to me because as Jesus died on the cross and, and he resurrected and, and then he ascended to heaven, some of his last instructions to his followers were, Guys, just don't screw this up real quick. I mean, he didn't say it that way. He said, guys, just don't do anything until the Holy Spirit arrives. Like literally, don't mess with this. Don't mess it up. Don't go anywhere. Don't do anything yet until the Holy Spirit gets here. The, the establishment of the church, it was propelled supernaturally by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But the church was not yet mobilized until the Holy Spirit was given to the church. And so even the origins of the church rest in the supernatural resurrection of Christ and the supernatural impartation of the Holy Spirit into the lives of those who believed. And so for the church to arrive to a place today where it is devoid of supernatural work and supernatural expectation, it runs counter to what all of scripture teaches and even the establishment of the church. We should expect God to work. We should believe and we should be, and this is a pressure point for today that I wanna, I wanna lean on with you for a minute. Where do you expect God to supernaturally work in your life right now? Like where, where is the place where your prayer should be focused that this is for his name, this is for his glory, and it's so big that it requires him to do it? Because if you don't have that right now, your expectations are far too low. And there's a testimony that God would love to write through your life that will glorify his son. And until you start expecting, praying and moving, you're not gonna get to see that experience. And so the church, it has supernatural origin. Acts 1.8, the church was told, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's saying when the Holy Spirit is on you, you're gonna have impact in your city, Jerusalem. 
You're going to have impact in your region, Judea, Judea and Samaria. You're going to have impact all the way to the ends of the earth. And that is the responsibility of the church to this day, to carry this message that changes hearts, changes eternities, and changes lives all across the world. This message that the supernatural power of God works through is for all nations, all people, all languages, all tribes. And that is our responsibility to bring this message. And it requires supernatural power to see that happen. And so the church is being built up in a supernatural way as it starts. And then third, the, the church has a supernatural mission. Our, our mission, it requires the hand of God to make it happen. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20. This is what's known as the Great Commission in Scripture. That's how we refer to it. It's Jesus speaking, and he says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Fulfilling that Great Commission, it's a supernatural act. And I'm not just talking about missions across the world. I'm talking about wherever we are, that when we proclaim the message and the invitation of the gospel, that God so loved the world that he sent his son, his one and only son, so whoever believes will not perish, but will have eternal life. As we give that invitation for people to believe and to begin following the ways of Jesus Christ, it requires a supernatural work of the father drawing that person's heart towards himself. That moment is not crafted by persuasive speech, but it requires a movement of the Spirit of God. And I love the way that it's described that the, one of the purposes of the church is not to make bad men good, but to make dead men alive. There's spiritual life that you need to experience. And just even that act of coming to Christ, it's a supernatural work that leads you into supernatural work. Band, if you guys want to come, up, come on up, I'll begin to close this out. It's interesting because as we talk about the church and this section of scripture of the church, as it got started, they were too busy following the teachings of Jesus to like sit down and like, all right, guys, let's formalize our name. Let's formalize like what we want to call ourselves. And so really they started going by what people would persecute them. Um, like the term church, ecclesia, that just means the gathering of them. But they were largely referred to as the way in scripture. Like people would talk about them being followers of the way. And it's interesting because it's, it sits differently in the realm of your psyche when you say, I belong to the church, to like the gathering of people versus I belong to the way. Like the way that we live, the way that Jesus taught, the way that we treat people, the way that we believe, the way that we serve, like all of that was encompassed in them saying like, we, we're part of the way, the way that those people are living. We're part of that rather than like I'm part of the church. And I love the way the New Testament beautifully crafts and says the church is like the body of Christ. Like each one of us belong and we have a part to play. That's beautiful. But that concept of the way, listen, if you want to see God work in your life in a supernatural way, you have to actually follow his ways. You cannot just ask for the manifestation of blessings. You actually have to authentically trust him enough to say, what you say to do, I want to do. What you say to change, I want to change. Where you say to go, I want to go. How you say to give, I want to give. How you say to serve, I want to serve. 
And when he says to the ends of the earth, I mean, that means that some of us will receive the calling that it is on our shoulders to bring the message of the gospel to lands that are far away. Like, God, whatever it is, like, I want to walk in your way. The church had a supernatural mission. The church still has a supernatural mission. But boy, have churches in America worked hard to turn it into a formula that we could accomplish without the work of God. And when we hollow it out and it feels lifeless, it's because the Spirit of God isn't in it. It's like us just dressing up, button-up shirts, shiny shoes, nice and tied ties, whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, filled with dead men's bones. Churches that are beautiful in form but lack function. We have to be a church. We have to be a person. We have to be a household. It says, God wants to work through his people. A supernatural way. He wants to do big things. And the indwelling presence of God in my life through the Holy Spirit it's going to lead me in difficult places. It's going to lead me in great places. But the joy that comes with that is worth every single cost. We have a supernatural mission. And so when we encounter earthly hardships, there's a tension. Because we want to pray for God to do something great, but we're afraid, what if he doesn't show up? I want to ask you to trust him. To show up. And he does not always heal and he does not always provide in the way that we expect. We need to approach this with an understanding that there is a God who is in the middle of this. And if he is saying no for right now, there's a reason. When I was a senior in college, um, it was actually fall of 2003. And I was part of a group of kids who just, we had the foolishness of faith to say, let's take our Friday nights and let's go down to the worst part of Atlanta that we can find. We went to school about an hour north of Atlanta and let's pray for people and let's share the gospel and let's buy meals for the homeless and let's just try to be what Jesus has called us to be. And I actually did that for all four years that I was in college and there's, there's beautiful stories. I mean, like we knew all the people, we knew the drug dealers down there. We knew the, the junkies that were down there that who, who just couldn't get off the street. We knew the shop owners that worked down there. And some of them called us their Friday night children. Like they just knew we were coming every Friday night. We'd be there to pray for them, be with them. And it calloused me in a lot of ways. Like I, I won't give money to homeless people now. And I probably should. I should just allow God to be just and handle that. But I'm like, I'll buy you some food. But I just, I struggle because I can think of the faces of the people that would harm themselves once they got a couple dollars. And so I just knew that people who are in dire straits, like they would, they'd lie. Like they just lie all the time. Uh, and so I have this callus up. And so one of, the, one of the nights of my senior year, we're down there and I'm talking with this guy. And he's like, oh, where are you guys from? Because we always went in groups of three or four as we'd split up and go around little five points of Atlanta. And we're like, oh, we're from Tacoma Falls College. And the guy chuckled. He's like, I used to go there. And man, these people lie all the time. And I'm like, oh yeah? 
that's great. What, what dorm did you stay in? And it was Forest Dorm, which was the dorm that I lived in. And this was, you know, before pocket cell phones and stuff, like, and, and I don't know why, but like this particular moment, like, was just like branded in my heart with like a searing iron. Like it hurts me to eat because I could just see myself in him so much. My school was for people who want to be overseas missionaries, who want to be pastors, who want to be world changers. And this guy who used to go to my school is now addicted to heroin, sleeping under a park bench in Little Five Points. And it broke my heart in a way that I was like, I had a backpack with me and a pillow in it because it's a long, uncomfortable drive and the 15 passenger vans down from the, and I'm like, I took all my stuff and give, gave it to him. And I wish that I had some money that I could have given to him. And I mean, I spent time speaking to him about scripture and I mean, like we cried and we prayed together and I felt so powerless in the passage that I had studied earlier. And it's this passage and this passage is forever tied to this story in my heart and my mind. Silver gold I have not, but what I have, I will give to you freely. And I prayed over him in Jesus name. And I challenged him and I was like, I know you've burned bridges with family, but you need to go back to them. You need to get out of this. This is going to kill you. And he said, I am. I'm killing myself right now. We prayed together and I wish I could tell you more about his story. I can tell you this much though. It was the last week I ever saw him at Little Five Points. So I hope he went home. But I don't know. But I know that I gave him the very best thing that I could give him heartfelt, faith-filled prayer that required the supernatural work of God. And I'm afraid that some of you guys have seen issues with other people and you just said, I, there's just nothing that I can do. Don't undervalue your prayer. Return to the supernatural expectation that if this is for the kingdom of God, that if this is for their growth, that if I pray this in faith and I believe it for them, that my God answers supernaturally. And when God pushes on your heart and you see a neighbor or you see a situation or you see a homeless person and you feel that push from God to do something, I want you to recognize that you have this small moment to lift that prayer, to reach out, to go to them. And that as the church, as the ones who follow the ways of Jesus Christ, we are called to pray big things to go where others won't go and to see our God do what is impossible. Let me pray for you. Father, will you just burden and convict our hearts for the opportunities that are missed, for the places where you would send blessings if we would pray, where you would heal if we would extend the faith. Give us the courage to just ask again, even if we've been disappointed in the past, help us to see not our will, but yours be done. And we know that it's supernatural how you draw us to you and it's supernatural what you want to do through us. And so Father, we expect to see you do great things in this city and through the world in Jesus' name.